the West Coast, the East Coast, and deep in the heart of Texas, it's the Geek at Arms podcast with Brian, Mike, and James. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of the Geek at Arms podcast, a podcast about three guys who share a lot of geeky hobbies and also a love for the Lord our God. I'm James, and hanging out with me, as always, are my good friends, Mike and Brian, and also... We have a special guest with us for the first time ever. Geek at Arms welcomes Mike Perna. Mike, how are you today, good sir? I'd like to formally, uh, you know, accept the invitation to visit my subjects. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, your grace. And instead of asking uh, our Mike how he's doing, Mike, I'm going to let you explain exactly why Mike answered in that particular fashion. Uh, You put him on the spot now, he doesn't know what to say. (laughs) He he's, hasn't he's, listened to the he, yet. He, he's sitting there listening, going, like, oh, my gosh, Mike Pern is on with us. What am I going to do? If you've listened to our previous episode of Geek at Arms, where we discussed The Secret of Nim, uh, just in casual conversation, uh, I may have referred to Mike Perna as the reigning archduke of Christian geekdom. I do not retract my statement and, in fact, stand by it now that he is here for us to say it to his face. You know, every time he goes on another geek podcast, he's going to say, uh, excuse me, excuse me, it's your grace, Perna. Excuse me, Geek at, Arm, <laughs> geek at Arm said so. Oh, I'm, I'm just waiting because I'm very thankful that the, the cadre of Christian geek podcasts that we're all a part of, I'm so glad that many of them are bogged down and have wicked time constraints on their ability to listen to podcasts. Otherwise... I'm never going to hear the end of this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, Brian, how are you doing, my friend? Uh, pretty good, pretty good. Glad how about you yourself? Can. You know, it's been a crazy month and a crazy week, but uh, it's also been a lot of fun, and I'm happy to be recording with you guys. Um, so, uh, Mike, do you want to tell us who you are, uh, how some of our listeners might know you, and how some of our other listeners might get connected with you? And anything, uh, anything on hand that you want to plug? Well, uh, my name is Mike Perna. I am the president of Inroads Ministries. We're a uh, 501c3 charitable organization that works with church and community groups to use tabletop gaming, both in board gaming and tabletop role playing, uh, to build community and to demonstrate the love of God across the gaming table. So we do a lot of stuff working with people. We do a lot of consulting stuff. We, it, when possible, because you know we're all kind of sprinkled throughout the country. When possible, we actually go to churches and bring what we refer to as the Inroads Ministries Traveling Library, aka each one of the board members brings all of our games, and uh, we just play around. When we're not doing that, we go to conventions and we write articles. We do several podcasts, uh, one of which is in, currently in hiatus because wow, did we get hammered this year with just real-life awfulness. So a couple of my guys are on, on hiatus from the Game Store Profits podcast, which is our flagship. It's the one that started this whole ball rolling. Uh, I also do, me personally, I do the Barden Bible, which is our devotional podcast, which is a weird little animal is what it is. It's not like any <laughs> devotional podcast you'll have ever heard anywhere else. Uh, kind of organically, it sprang up where I started having this intro where you actually walk into a tavern and uh, a a fictitious version of me greets you, and then we roll into a devotional about the Bible. (laughs) 
But, yeah, uh, the what... most recent episode of the Bard and Bible was particularly good. He, he did the good orc, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, this. there are so many people who have asked me how many more of these I'm going to do and how often. And I basically tell people I want to do them all the time, but that 15 minutes of audio took a couple weeks worth of my life. So uh, I'm going to try and occupy that much time or it took that much time off of your life. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I was trying to orchestrate <laughs> voice actors from literally across the globe. So, yeah, that was fun. Uh, thankfully, they could all just record individually and send me the audio. So it's not like I had to get all of us at the same place at the same time, because that would be a nightmare. But I have to so, say that the way that it came together was incredible because you had some solid editing and also you had a solid concept that really took the the concept of the Samaritan who was the ancient Israelite enemy and you embody that in the D&D stereotype of the orc and made the good Samaritan the good orc and I, I usually don't care for that, that sort of parallel that runs in, in Christian fiction but you did that so well that I was thoroughly impressed well I mean that I talked about how organically overdoing this episode, overdoing this podcast for, you know, m as long as I have now, I think, I think I'm almost at two years. I, uh, I started doing this fictitious world and before I knew it, I was just making throwaway statements, but there was a couple people in our Facebook community that were like keeping track of them. And so <laughs> they, they couldn't be throwaway comments anymore. They actually started becoming world building. Oh my gosh. And before I knew it, before I knew it, this devotional podcast had turned into this. There was actually in this fictitious world, there is an inn called the Bard and Bible. In I, the way I justified that was was that in their world, Bible, you know, is just a, another word for book. Right. Because in our language, Bible is just another <laughs> word for book. For book. Yeah. Like, so that's how I justified. The, the interjection of the word Bible in it. But that kind of, as I was figuring out, I, I kept wanting to go with the vibe of the Barden Bible is not your standard devotional podcast. So there were a couple of projects I want to do. Like one is what I referred to as the Bard Project, which is uh, biblical articulation read deliberately. And uh, the Bard Project is just me reciting a piece of text, whether it's from a poem or a film or a book or whatever. The very first one I did, it's so far it's the only one I've done, is the uh, the ending speech to the great dictator, which I'm gonna tell you that one took a lot out of a guy to recite that. Oh one. gosh, yes. Yeah, so that that's the Bard project, and then the other one that kind of came out was hearkening back to my days in college, where I had a professor who had us do creative paraphrase, which is interpret a piece of scripture and not just regurgitate it, but do something with it based on the work you did of interpretation. And so I thought, wouldn't it be fun if I took Bible stories, really digested them and placed them inside this world, which I've started referring to as the nine realms. And yeah, that's how the good orc happened. I'm like, I want to do the good Samaritan and actually doing the good orc created a bit of world building because in previous episodes, previous alliterations, orcs are just, they're almost monstrous. They're sentient beings in this world, 
they they do have language and they're they're not pure monster, but they're almost treated like that. And so I'm like, I want to have one talking and having conversations with my characters. I can't I can't do that. So I actually came up with this idea that orcs that no longer feel accustomed to being in the just the the vibe of the, the clan system, they no longer like feel like that's how they want to live. They can actually petition to become what's called clanless. And a clanless orc takes a brand on their cheek so that anyone who sees them knows that they can be there, that they're not, you know, part of a horde, that they're not a part of a raiding party. They actually can be there, but nobody likes them because hordes of orcs, the only time you ever see an orc is if, it's come, if they're coming to rampage, pillage, and kill. So no one's keen to see one. And I thought that that was so perfect with the story. But that literally all of that came about because I was doing this project. If I may ask, did that inspiration for you know the orcs coming away from their clan and the orcs not being inherently evil, did that come out of uh, an inspiration from, I think it was Daniel Kwan who did a two-part a two uh, two blog post about the preconceptions that we put onto this, as you say, um, monstrous, sentient race. Because it fits so well. Yeah, I can't point to any particular, like, article or writer or post or whatever, but I, I've been a, a big fan of the fact that, yeah, there is a place for straight good versus straight evil. I don't want to be the kind of person who says never tell that story. I, I'm a fan of Tolkien. But I like the idea that even amongst what is generally considered an evil group, there might be outliers, just like from what is considered a generally good group, there also may be outliers. And so I wanted to find a way that they could live in the world and find a place, because that's, that's a theme of just everything I do, real, fictional, whatever, is I like the people who don't have a place to find a place. And so I felt, I felt good making that part of the orc culture. And after the good orc happened, I think the combination of the concept the way I wrote him and the way Joe Monzo read him, I've literally received multiple comments saying Rockjaw, the, the orc that is the good orc, needs to show up in future renditions of this project <laughs> that I'm doing. Because, I mean, it was a ton of fun. It was an amazing job bringing all these people together. I'm very thankful that I know a ton of talented people because literally all of them gave me their talents for free, and I greatly appreciate that. Um, if you're listening and you have no idea what we're talking about, please go and listen to it. it I, I gathered some of the finest people I know to read these parts. And some of them, I'm not going to lie, some of them, the very second they started talking, I knew they were perfect for the parts that they read. Like, it was it's so good. Like, they do such a good job. And, yeah, if you have suggestions for future Bible stories you want me to put in the Nine Realms, feel free to let me know because I want to do more of them. You should do the one of the shrewd servants. I mean, that's uh, the, the dishonest, the dishonest manager. That one's just easy. It's right, it, no problem. Like, uh, yeah, no interpretational complexities anyway. So you know, just talk right into it. <laughs> yeah, no, there's there's so many fun things that I can do, especially because, again, it all happened organically. So like the innkeeper version of me, because his name is Mike Perna. He does welcome you to the Barden Bible. 
but he was the completely fictitious version of me, which is why I refer to him as the innkeeper. It, he, like, part of the reason I really loved re- doing the good orc and part of the reason why I love that interaction is because I could really chew on the absolute hatred because in a previous episode of the Barden Bible, I had mentioned, oddly enough, it was funny because that episode was an episode where me, real me, is talking to the innkeeper me. Oh, my God. <laughs> talking, about, talking about the Book of Joel. And the way I talked about the Book of Joel in that context was that, that, that an orc horde had just driven through. And oh. basically, basically the innkeeper version of me took his axe and went to work and tried to save as many people as he could in the end. And it, in the conversation that I had with myself, uh, it, it was revealed that, you know, real me has a wife and son who are very much alive and awesome and we love each other very much. Innkeeper me has a wife and a son, but his son is significantly older and in college and his wife was killed by an orc war, uh, war band. Mm. And so and it was funny because in that episode, I literally had a line where it said, uh, where the innkeeper said, I had a wife once and real me said, I didn't know that. How did I not know that? <laughs> 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 because, because that's just how the creative process went for that. I didn't know that until I wrote it. And I'm like, no, that's too perfect. I have to do that. <laughs> Does it ever create a moment of cognitive dissonance where you're like, wait, who am I right now? Oh, constantly. <laughs> no, there, there's never a point where it doesn't. I, I literally had a conversation about me with me. <laughs> like, I'm having conversations. I wrote a script where I have a conversation where I say, oh, you don't realize I come in after you, because the way it works is that the innkeeper introduces it, and then real me talks Bible after that. So when real me says, I work here too, I just come on after you, yeah, I I don't even it, yeah it was it was quite a it was quite an afternoon recording that one. Okay, I need to go get some Tylenol, um, and and I'll be back. <laughs> yeah. Has your wife ever said, "Sweetheart, I'm a little jealous of all the time you're spending with yourself"? <laughs> yeah. Well, oddly enough, other than other than the good orc, because I she knew how much work went into the good orc, she doesn't li- she doesn't listen to my podcast. Oh, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> She's yes, like, I'm happy when he talks with himself. It keeps him out of my hair. Yeah, she she listens to me enough. <laughs> but yeah, so that that project was huge. And then the only other thing I'd have to you know, after the long stretch of how that went, uh, the only other thing I have to plug is is that coming up in December, I'm taking a team to Pax Unplugged. We talked about conventions, and uh, I'm super excited about this. Not only because it'll be our second year as a team at the convention. But also because this year uh, my godson is on the team, very which cool. I'm very excited about. I am so stoked that you are able to do this. Like I, I, I've been watching your PAX Unplugged uh, updates, and I've been feigning jealous resentment over Twitter, but so much of me is like, oh, I want to live vicariously through these tweets. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it, PAX Unplugged is a great show. It, it really, really is. It's... It has a very Gen Con feel to it, the way it's set up, but it's also small, comparatively small. It's it's big, trust me, but comparatively to Gen Con, which is the big board game and tabletop convention, it's still small. I think it'll get big. I have a funny feeling, like like people joke that Unplugged is the Gen Con of the East Coast. I don't think they're wrong. So going yeah. there, it 
it's a it's a cool vibe. It's a great city, and uh, it's it's a lot of fun to get there, especially because of our approach to doing convention work, which is basically we go to surf. Uh, it, I ask every team member what they want to do. Like we don't have we don't have a booth. We don't really have necessarily an over well we do have an overarching kind of guideline as to what it means to be a team member, but we don't have like a you do this this or this choose one. I literally talk to each team member and I'm like our goal is to impact this convention positively for Christ. We want to talk to individuals. We want to make them feel like they're loved and supported. How do you want to do that? So for me, I, I go around dressed up like a dwarf bard, just asking for stories. And my goodness, I could I could spend an entire episode talking to you about some of the stories I picked up last year. It was amazing. But the oh thing I the thing I loved about that, yeah, the thing I loved about that was uh, every time somebody looked at me and said they didn't have a story, and I didn't let that go, I just kind of coaxed it out of them. Every time the person came at me with the weirdest craziest, awesomest story ever. My, well, I mean, my favorite one, my favorite <laughs> one was when I talked to a group of people. So we went down the line, each one of them told me stuff, and it was in varying degrees, because I said, you know, even even if you just tell me what you had for breakfast, I'm going to give you a pin, and, or I'm going to give you a button and a card. And I'm like, come on, I'm not, not going to walk away from having talked to each and every one of your friends, giving them all buttons, and not Literally, you can tell me anything. She then looked at me and said, well, I was at the Olympic trials for horse jumping, but they didn't give me a good horse. The horse is actually kind of lame, so when I took one of the jumps, it got stuck. And and I I stood there, black-jawed, and eventually regained my consciousness and said, what do you mean you don't have a story? It's one of the craziest stories I've ever heard. <laughs> Well, I mean, I think that is really an amazing, amazing way of reaching out to people because that that is one of the most fundamental principles of relational ministry is listening to people and understanding really where they are at before you ever say a single word. And being able to do this in character to to elicit people's stories, to get them to share some something of who they are is just an amazing um, method. I, I I did not know that you did this, and I'm uh, I'm just kind of blown away. Yeah, no, it, it was so much fun. I do it. If you really trek back, you can go back into the archives of our our website to find out. I wrote a story uh, called Dwarf Bard Drop, and it's the idea that when I, it's the first game we ever first role playing game we ever played as a ministry, played by both games halfway. And I'd never played Pathfinder. My boy Jeff ran Pathfinder, and that's how we did it. So I'm like, yes, I'm in. I've never played. I want. So I wanted to play a dwarf because I always played dwarves. And looking at all the, you know, all the Pathfinder could be, I wanted to play a bard because a bard gets to be a little bit of everything. So if you're going to dip your toe in, good way to go. So every guide I, I went looking at saying, you know, how to build a good bard, they broke it down by race. It's a good human bard. Good elf bard, the, 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 and every time you went to work, they don't. <laughs> now, I wanted to ask you the the story that you just told us about the young lady with the horse, yeah, and about coaxing her and getting the story out of her, even though she was a bit, you know, hesitant. What mm-hmm. is that, and more moments like that? The, the origin of a T-shirt that you guys are selling on your Inroads T-shirt shop called "Your Story Is Worth Telling." 
Yeah, that's literally what last year's Pax Unplugged did was kind of formalize what we had been kind of because we want we wanted to know what our job at a convention is. Like what what does it look like to be inroads at a convention? Because we can't do reviews because one, there's a bazillion reviewers out in the world. And two, even in the Christian space, Love Thy Nerd has a team of like twice to three times our so we can't do what they do. We were asking ourselves, what do we do? And the idea of going to speak to people, hearing their stories, just having meals with people, playing games and getting to know people, that was our jam. And everybody who walked away from that year's team basically said, this is, this is what we do. Mm-hmm. We tell stories, we hear stories, we remind people that their stories are worth telling because it's being crafted by the greatest storyteller ever. I love the mission of that. I love the ministry behind that statement and and that feeling. And I love this T-shirt. When I saw it, when you posted it on Facebook earlier in the week, I fell in love with it, uh, both with how cool of a shirt it looks and also with the meaning of it and how it can apply to so many parts of a person's life. Oh, yeah. And with all of these things, it all comes back, you know, talking about that character that I, I played in that Pathfinder game, after being told over and over and over again that I shouldn't do a dwarf bard, they shouldn't exist, that was what made me say, well, now I have to. <laughs> now I have to make one. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's my before reaction was, every time, too. Yeah, before it was just, I just want to, now I have to. <laughs> I, I was making an axe-wielding battle bard before the College of Valor ever happened. I resonated so much with that character. If you, like, I've been playing Dungeons and Dragons or some variation on it basically since my early teenage years. And that that card is without doubt my favorite character I've ever played. <laughs> and part of the reason he resonated with me as much as he did was because his story became I've been kicked out of every family and every organization I've ever known. I don't have a place. And so his story became about finding it. And so all his spell list was about taking the proud and making them humble. So it's all things like, like vicious mockery and all, all those spells. Like I, I had like zero damage spells. It was all, <laughs> I'm going to make you suffer. If I wanted to do damage, I just hit him with my axe. I don't have any, I don't need spells to do that. Friends, if you want to find out exactly what type of T-shirt we're talking about, if you go to teespring.com and look for the Inroads uh, Ministry Store, you're going to find the shirt. It's really I'm going to be buying it because I love the message that this shirt sends. Uh, it's got a cool book on it, great message. Uh, you'll see Mike's own little uh, dwarf bard my, sticking my up over the top bard. of it. Yeah, your dwarf bard sticking over the top of it, Kilroy style. And, uh, yeah. Oh yeah, I'm I'm buying this shirt. I look forward to getting it. <laughs> we don't have like a mascot, but that dwarf bard is quickly becoming one, and partly that's because I do all the graphic design. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. But it's also just a subtle way to to tie everything together without literally slapping inroads on everything. There you go. So, because I don't I don't want to just keep slapping our name on stuff <sighs> if it doesn't need to. I just had an idea. Oh my gosh, this would be funny. Okay, he's kind of become like your Inroads' mascot, as you said. The Geek at Arms logo is a lightsaber-wielding knight. And if there were any other 
Christian podcasts who had similar characters for a part of their identity. Imagine you an RPG party? of these <laughs> podcast mascots. Oh my gosh. That would be amazing. I'm loving this. Well, all right. But then we then we all know that we're going to have to send the min-max guys in first because they're going to be the ones who are perfectly statted out. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, before we geek out too much about that idea, let's actually head into Geek Out. Mike, we're going to throw you under the bus as our first guest, and uh, you tell us what it is that you've been geeking out about recently. I can do that because one of the cool things about when you do a lot of, of work in this relational gospel-centered gaming world, people send you stuff. And it's really fun because, you know, since the very beginning, I've always said, you know, I'm just here to, to tell you about the good stuff that's out there. I'm not telling you you need to buy it. I'm just saying, I think this thing is cool. And if you're interested in it, you should pick it up. Well, one of the ways that that, that, that happened was with Numenera, which is pretty much my favorite setting slash game system out there right now in the world of tabletop RPGs. Well, at some point, the folks at Monty Cook Games who can pretty much do no wrong. I think I have a bookshelf that's all about my gaming and, and comic books. And I think half of that shelf, half of that bookcase is Monty Cook. So they decided they were going to take the system that Numenera, you know, they built Numenera around, which is called the Cypher system, and they wanted to make it generic. And normally the term generic is a bad thing, but in the role-playing kind of system verse, generic means you can make anything with this. So back in the day, there was GURPS, which is the generic role-play system. Like, it's a, it's a system that you – like, literally, they give you the math, and they're like, you can do whatever you want with this. And when they first came out with it, they did it on Kickstarter, and I told our community, I said – Oh my goodness, they're making it awesome. Uh, there's no way I can afford another role-playing book. There's no way I can justify this because I have no money, precious little time, and, there, and, and I have a toddler. So I'm, until he gets old enough that I can role-play with him, I don't know when I'm going to be able to, to get a regular <laughs> game together. But oh my goodness, people back this because it needs to be in the world. Well, the other day I get a, a package on my doorstep and there it is, the Cypher System generic core book. And I'm so excited about this because I love this system. It, it gives the GM some tools to kind of help move things in a certain direction without railroading. Because in some systems, you know, it's really easy to just, unless you tell people where to go, they're not going to go there. This kind of gives a carrot and stick approach because the GM can be like, okay, if you go here, I'll give you this experience. And I love that. Because one, it gives your, it gives, uh, it kind of softens the blow when you do something that the players don't want you to do. <laughs> At the same point, if they have experience already, they can hand one back to you and say, no, that's not actually how this is going to go down. <laughs> So it's not like you're railroading them. They have the ability to look back at you and say, no, that's not happening. But I, 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 uh, I could go on for days about this system. But the thing I, I love about this book, is not only does it have phenomenal artwork, because they always do, the, the kind of genres that this book has, 
it gives you tips on how to use the cipher system to run fantasy games, modern games, science fiction games, horror, romance, superheroes, post-apocalyptic, fairy tale, and even historical games. James and I are listening. Yep. I'm so excited. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so that, that showed up on my, on my doorstep recently and I've been reading through this book and flipping through it because I know the system, the act, the cipher system, I know it well, but the nuance of how to apply it to all these different genres is super cool. So that was a huge, I, I nerded out hard. Like nobody around here, <laughs> nobody even kind of understood how happy I was when this, when this book was on our doorstep. Nobody understands. We understand you, Mike. We <laughs> I, I, I feel like you should be tapping on the table. One of us, one of us. <laughs> so I will admit ignorance on this one. I had not heard of a Numenera or the Cypher system before. I'm looking it up now as you were talking, and I'm like, oh, this is pretty. For, for the listeners, uh, Numenera specifically is a setting that is Earth. So it's actual Earth, but Earth a billion years in the future. So oddly enough, I call my fictitious world the Nine Realms. It's an actual homage to Numenera, which is called the Ninth World. <laughs> oh, wow. The reason being is, is that we, actual us, are considered the first world. We are the first civilization to kind of harness the potential of Earth and kind of rule over it. By the time Numenera hits, there have been nine. So it, regular humanity as we know it has fallen, and eight other groups have come in and, and been the ruling class, as it were, on Earth. So you're constantly finding things like my favorite, my favorite thing to bring up because uh, all this stuff has ties back to like the actual world that we live in, but it really does take that quote of at some point technology becomes so advanced. It looks like magic. Uh, My favorite thing to talk about is called the iron wind and the iron wind is a bunch of nanites that go rogue. Oh no. And they, and they just, just continually move themselves around the world, pushing through, doing whatever they want, rewriting the genetic code of anything they come across. Hmm. Oh, oh, that's awesome. I mean, it depends on what they're writing in. I mean, if it's resistant to the flu and all that, great, go ahead and rewrite. Uh, otherwise, yeah. I, uh... here's the thing. They don't really care. <laughs> yeah, I, I and so there's some kid with three heads who's blue and has a dorsal fin. It's like, man, that's really stinks. Oh, mu- mutations. <laughs> there's actually there's actually a multi-page chart on potential mutations you can take for your character. But it, it has things like, uh, depending on how many extra books you want to buy, there's whole things about space and space exploration and and other kind of sentient beings. But even if you just get the core book you've got what you've referred to as visitors and visitors are basically aliens remnant from those other civilizations. Uh, so you have, so while humanity is back in the, in the, the big, the big chair, there are still other beings out there as well. And you can play them. They have stats for how to play them. But uh, I, I love Numenera because literally you can come up with anything. I think my favorite 
And my favorite NPC that I created was actually a a robot that wasn't really it wasn't so much a robot as it was like a torso and he ran the trains. Oh no. <laughs> and and he was great. He I basically made him like every old cartoon conductor ever in existence, complete with big metal mustache. Oh my gosh. And my favorite thing was that my characters, they, they're they like, does he have a little train hat? I go, yeah, of course he does. They're like, I'm, they're like is it attached? I go, well, of course it is. And they're like, and my one, the one guy had, uh, the way skills work is a lot more broad spectrum in the Cypher system. It's not like you have, you know, very specific pointed things. It's literally like, I'm good with this generic type of action. So his generic type of action was basically like, putting random stuff together and taking it apart. Oh. And so he's and so he's like, I want the hat. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, roll roll for it. And he rolls. And the other thing I love about the cipher system is that rather than keeping track of like fifteen different types of dice, it's a, it you only have a D twenty and the GM will tell you this is the number you need to hit. There's no pluses or minuses. You can use points to kind of bring that number down if you want. Like, if you really want something to happen, you can take points out of a pool to kind of make it easier. But it's a straight, you need to roll this number. And, uh, yeah, no, I, I love I love the system so much, I can't wait to apply it to all these other genres. But it, if anybody wants to talk about Numenera, I'm a, I'm a fanboy of the highest degree. And that's before <laughs> Monty Cotone started, like, giving us stuff to give away to people. Cool. That is amazing. But yeah, so that that's my my first one, and and y'all asked for a second one, and so I'm going to talk about other cool things that people have, have sent me because I still I still nerd out about the fact that people actually bother to send me things. It's still ridiculous to me. Uh, some of these I know their origin, and one of them I don't. So <laughs> we're just gonna move uh-huh. with that. Uh, there was a in in the same realm of I just tell people when good things are available, and it's up to them if they want to buy it. There is a board game that I've wanted since before it came out, since before it was even finished. I'd read an article about the, the process of designing this game. And the original concept was that you are trying to piece together the memories of somebody with Alzheimer's oh. before, they, before they lose their memories forever. That's not what the game ended up being because they play tested that and it was just too depressing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, can imagine. However, the game they came up with is not exactly a walk in the park. The game is called Holding On, The Troubled Life of Billy Kerr. And Billy Kerr is a, a gentleman who has a heart attack on an airplane and is brought to your hospital. Each player is playing as the nursing staff in this intensive care unit. Billy's alone. He has no family. He has no friends. As far as anyone can tell, he's just kind of just miserable old man. But you realize that he has this story to tell. He just has nobody to tell it to. Oh. So you are alternating between taking care of him to keep him alive and getting this story out of him. The game is hard for me to get to table sometimes because you don't, there's no way to save Billy. Billy always dies at the end. The question is not whether Billy will live or die. It's whether or not you will be able to tell his story afterwards. Now, a question that I have is, is the story always the same? Or do elements of the story change 
due to randomness and uh, different cards that can be drawn or whatever elements that the game uses to dictate his story. I haven't played it yet. Oh, gotcha. Uh, so I know that at least in the broad strokes, it's the same. I don't know if there's some kind of nuance element that might change or not. This one fell into a category for me where I knew I had to play it. Even if I played it once and just kept it in the ministry's library so that I could show it to other people, mm -hmm. I needed to play it. It's such an interesting concept, and I absolutely love everything about it. And at one point, it was on Miniature Market, which is one of the, the big online tabletop gaming stores for like $16. And I'm on an absolute spending freeze right now. But one of my buddies, who, is, who I know through the ministry, said, I need your address. I'm sending this to you. <laughs> so hopefully at some point, I'll be able to convince enough people who are weird and deranged like I am to sit down and play this with me because I, I want to be writing about this for our website. This game, it just is everything I, I know games can be because one of the big things that when I talk to people who aren't gamers about what we do with inroads, they're like, oh, you just play games with people or, or, or are you just playing games with kids? And I'm like, I own games that I would not let a child anywhere near. Did somebody say Time and, Story? Yeah, I would. There are there are games that I own that I would not let a child near, and this is one of them. And I want to be playing it all the time. But yeah, I think the only thing that's stopping the two of us from playing that like right now is geography. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Blast that geography. <laughs> Well, I love the premise of this game because what it sounds like to me is that this is a game which really focuses on and encourages player to connect and show compassion. Yeah. And the gaming style dictates showing compassion. I can't think of other games which, I mean, there are games out there where that's certainly one style of gameplay, but that's not the main focus, which in this game it sounds like it is. Yeah, no, it. There are other games out there that do that ask interesting questions. Like I would mention Fog of Love, which is basically a game where you are playing as a couple. And there are, are things that you're trying to do to uh, work the relationship out. But at the same point, you have hidden kind of aspects to yourself. And one person might be like, I don't care what I have to do. I don't care how I have to debase myself. I am all in. This relationship is everything to me. While the other person is going, I need to get out of this as soon as possible. But neither one knows the other one that way. <laughs> so there, there's, there's all sorts of crazy games out there dealing with, with the relationships with uh, individuals. I, I still say that there, the first time that I played and then we held hands, which is an abstract game, which it's really easy to not connect theme to because it's an abstract game. But the idea is, is that you're a couple and you're fighting, but you can't talk about the game. Because if you talk about the game, you're not actually being a couple who's not communicating. Oh. So you can't talk. You're, it's a cooperative game where you're trying to meet in the middle of this board, but you can't talk strategy because you're a couple who's not communicating well right now. So you just have to watch each other and the first time i played this with my wife i almost cried because because I... you, you you play with your hand literally out and you can play from both hands and we lost because i took too many of my wife's cards when she was unable 
to get them back. So I think I stuck. heard you talk about this at Game Store Profit. Yeah. Oh, yeah, no, amazing. I did. I did. But, yeah, there's so many great games that do, stuff, that do cool stuff like that. <laughs> but, yeah, and that's just, that's just one of the things that came in. I have uh, a gentleman who I had, I had previously reviewed another game, uh, which is called Barker's Row, which is a ton of fun. But I, I specifically got that review because I'd heard about it, and I grew up as a kid wanting to be a carnival barker. So, of course, I needed to play that game. But he apparently liked what I did so much that he wanted to send me his new game, which is the Zorro Dice game. I have no idea if it's going to be any good, but I, I have very mixed emotions because part of me is like, it's an IP game. It's a well-known IP. Those never go well. But then I look at all the games <laughs> that are coming out right now, like the Jaws game and the Die Hard game, and all these games are doing really well, and they're actually good. So maybe this they're is going to awesome. Yeah, I mean, recently there have been a few actually pretty good IP games. Um, yeah. I've talked... I mean, I've talked uh, positively about Star Trek Five-Year Mission. Um, yep. There's been, yeah, I, I'm not going to start listing them now, but every, like, IP generally turns out poorly, but recently we're seeing, we're seeing a, a, better, a better pool of game designers brought into the IPs so that you have something that is as strong as the IP. And the there's an advantage why... to be had that if you're, they're not pushing out the game to match with a movie that's coming out imminently, they don't have to cut corners. I mean, if you're making a game about Die Hard, Die Hard's been out for eons. You can take your time making that game. It doesn't matter. Well, and also one thing that, that's becoming a thing now is because board games are becoming bigger and bigger and bigger, the industry has been growing for the past like six or seven years, like consistently, people – like the people making the decisions on making these games aren't just somebody in, in a corporate office somewhere who says, this movie's coming out. How do we get people to take stuff home? It's literally people who are like, I love that movie. I love this IP. How can we put that in a game? Mm -hmm. Right. And so that's why you're starting to see the, the quality increase over time. It's because, People are actually caring about the game design. And they're willing I mean, to put heck, some money behind it. Yeah. Disney's Villainous is a fun game. I and had so much reaction to, to my gamer friends like, okay, we're playing this game. It's by Disney. And I'm like, oh, not the, not the mouse. No, we're not doing the mouse, are we? And they put out the game. And it was gorgeous in its design. And it was so yeah. much fun to play. There have been few things in my life that have allowed me to go on Twitter and have a conversation about which Disney villain should be in the next expansion. And I had a multi, multi-tweet conversation with somebody that says that Disney needs to just do it and, you know, stop being cowards and put Mad Madam Mim from the Sword in the Stone <laughs> Dude. in this game. <laughs> I would never play anyone else if they put Mad Madam Mim <laughs> in this game. I am, however, excited because in the I don't know if it's upcoming or if it came out. I don't know yet. It's it's on it's news feeds are weird. Um but it's either on its way or it's here already where Radigan from the Great Mouse Detective <laughs> is is available. Oh yeah. And that makes yeah, that, that makes me happy. Okay. Yeah, somebody played with that character the last time I, I or the first and only time I played the game. I applaud them for dipping that deep 
in the villain well. When they start pulling out bad guys from the Black Cauldron, then I might I might get that game. <laughs> oh, there we go. Yeah. Here, you know, a Disney bought Fox. We could get the Alien Queen in the next expansion. <laughs> Telling you. Telling you. But yeah, so I've got I've got that in the same package. I got a game called Good Cop Bad Cop, which is on my list of games that I wanted to try, but it never quite got to. I'm actually buying it, so I'm excited because this is a new edition of it, and it's basically like you are all cops in this precinct, but some of them, some of you are dirty, and you're trying to smoke out who the dirty cops are. It's a social deduction game. I'm super excited to play it. Very cool. And the other game, the, the last game, which I'm excited hasn't arrived yet. But it's it's in process. Um, I don't know who sent it to me. I have no idea because I didn't get the box when it, for where it was originally sent. Uh, somebody sent me Unmatched Battle of Legends, which is the new game from Restoration Games and Mondo Games. And if you don't know about Restoration Games, they take old games from the past that were not necessarily good but very memorable, and they modernize them. And this one was, am I correct in thinking this one was modeled after Star Wars Epic Duel? You are exactly correct. So the the plot behind Star Wars Epic Duel, which was a game that I got into long before I started doing this ministry, uh, you literally take a, a team, and depending on how powerful your team is, depends on how good they, like how many slash how good each individual piece is. But you take Star Wars characters and you fight them against each other. So, like, it was, like, Vader and a couple Stormtroopers, and Yoda was, like, his own team. Yoda was it. You just had Yoda. And, and like... You could play, like, like two-on-two, and you could have, like, Vader and the Emperor, Darth Maul and the Emperor versus Yoda and Luke Skywalker, and it, it was fun to play. It was great. And they basically... Restoration Games updated it and put it out as Unmatched Battle of Legends. Now, the core box, which is what got sent to me, is just a rampant display of public domain characters. It's Alice in Wonderland. It's Sinbad the Sailor. It's, uh, I can't remember who else was in it, but it's like, it's public domain characters. Cause of course it is. Expansions are available and will become available that take this to a whole other level. The first expansion, Bruce Lee. It's <laughs> just Bruce Lee. <laughs> well, there were more characters, but he beat them all. But he beat the. See, here's the thing. Another expansion, which is in the works and soon to be available, Jurassic Park. Yes, kids, <laughs> you can have Bruce Lee versus dinosaurs. Oh, my gosh. Uh, I, uh, okay. You know, if, I could take the more economical choice and just buy this game, but, but no. I, I just booked a plane ticket to near you, Mike, and, um, yeah, we're doing this. <laughs> yeah, oh, I think the plane ticket is definitely the cheaper choice. One of the, the other things, you have Robin Hood, and they actually have a Bigfoot in the expansion. So I think it's like Robin Hood versus Bigfoot. <laughs> How is that Bigfoot book? Little John. <laughs> How come sci-fi has not made that movie yet? I, I'm just telling you. this is So I'm, I'm so excited to play this. I was excited that they were putting it out there the second. Because when, whenever Restoration Games put something out there, it's either been one of two things. It's been, oh my goodness, that game was from my childhood and... I need it now, a.k.a. Fireball Island. Or it's been, I have no idea what that original game is, but I must play that. And this one's kind of a that, little of column A, a little of column B, isn't it? Yeah. Like, right now, they're, they're killing it, too. They're, they're putting out Dark Tower, which was ridiculous. 
Uh, it was a, mecha- a crazy mechanical tower long before that became a thing that was expected in games. Like, I, I still, every once in a while, they'll, they'll put out a call saying, what do you think we should put out? And I'm like, make Omega Virus, you cowards. <laughs> um, if you weren't playing board games in the age of the electronic squawk box, you need to look up uh, Omega Virus and then appreciate how better children are now with the games they get to play. <laughs> But yeah, so that's, that, I'm nerding out on all those things. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, for the rest of us, who wants to go first? I'm going to say one of you two, because I went first the last two episodes. Uh, well, mine will be short and sweet, so I'll go ahead and take it next. All right. Um, first of all, Vader Immortal Chapter 2 was released for the Oculus Rift this week. Uh, so I played through that yesterday. Is it true that you get to fight a four-armed Rancor? Yes, it is, and it's awesome. <laughs> My wife's going to kill me. I'm ordering an Oculus Rift right now. <laughs> I, am, I, am not, I can't go home. I'm just going to have to drop my child off and just go find a... I'm not even, I can't even afford a hotel. I'm just going to have to find a place where I can bum Wi-Fi so I can play the Rift. <laughs> yeah, this, this Rancor is like reaching through the, the, the windows trying to get at you. I was like, I have no idea what to do. And I don't even realize it's attacking me that I have a freaking lightsaber. But I'm so scared because this monster is trying to grab me that I've forgotten that I have a lightsaber. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and uh, you do get some some like uh, force telekinesis powers in it. So you can throw throw rocks at the Rancor. Um, and so I was doing a little bit of that and it does drive him off. Um, and in the future DLC, in a surprise twist, you get help from a T-Rex riding Bruce Lee. <laughs> <laughs> if only. But it's, uh, I started off with their, uh, their lightsaber dojo, uh, where it, it teaches you how to use the, the force telekinesis, and you get to actually throw the lightsaber now. That's pretty cool. Unfortunately, you cannot do that in the actual game. Anybody out there who plays that, I recommend go ahead and play the story mode first so that you don't train yourself to want to throw that lightsaber all the time, because you can't do that in the, in the story. <laughs> and it's crippling when you get used to doing that and then suddenly you can't. And the other thing is uh, I have been invited to play uh, in a Dungeons & Dragons campaign being run by Peter Martin of Saving the Game. Oh, hooray. Very cool. Oh, yep. A.K.A. Uh, the game that I wish I could do, but I can't even possibly put that in my schedule. <laughs> right. Yeah. And there was uh, apparently about a good dozen people who were saying the same thing, so I got in on a technicality. <laughs> yeah. But uh, he's running a uh, kind of an Age of Sale Tech level is approximately 1850, and it's going to be a lot of archaeology and pirates set in an archipelago. We've got a pirate ship of our own, so that's just going to be loads of fun. I'm really looking forward uh, to it. I have always wanted to play in a scenario like that, so it sounds great. I've been, I've been wanting to play 7th Sea for years and years, as James knows. Mm-hmm. I uh, have your old rule books. <laughs> right, I'd forgotten about that. Uh, so not being able to play 7C itself, at least I get to play this uh, Privateers and Pirates D&D game, which, I, to be honest, I don't have a whole lot of experience with D&D itself. Um, I always avoided the brand name due to the satanic panic and uh, all of the people giving you the side eye at church. But none of those people actually know what role-playing is. The fact that I was playing Middle-Earth Middle Earth role-playing, which is the same thing but skinned with Tolkien... They didn't bat an eye over it. So this will be like 
maybe my fourth or fifth time actually playing Dungeons and Dragons itself. That's all I got. Next. I will go next. Keeping along with the sword and sorcery theme, uh, I have been playing a lot of Skyrim since the last episode. I decided I wanted to try and get through the full storyline and uh, at least one of the DLCs, preferably the Dragonborn one, as quickly as possible because for the first time in a long time, a new game is coming out that I'm actually really interested in. The Outer Worlds from Obsidian is dropping October 25th. And then a few weeks later, uh, Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order is coming out in November. Because I have it hard enough finding time to play one game, I'll probably ask for that one for Christmas. And in the last episode, Brian, you had talked about if I had done the game with any mods yet. Mm-hmm. And, well, you were wondering if mods were even available on the Xbox. And it got me thinking. You know, I've, I've played through the game once before back on the 360. I, I pretty much got all the achievements for it already. I don't really care about my Xbox gamer score, whatever. So, you know, I'm going to try this game out with mods. And since doing that, I spent a lot of time researching, watched quite a few YouTube videos about what mods people, uh, the most popular ones, which ones people recommend, uh, the load order and everything. And now I'm sporting about 5, 10, 15, about 20 mods. <laughs> Which people think, like, wow, that's a lot. Let me tell you, no, it's not. <laughs> no, it compared to the amount of mods people put on their PCs, it's nothing. My favorite Skyrim mods, and you can't run them both at the same time because they both do the same thing, just with different results. There's one that turns all the, the dragon shouts that dragons give you into Macho Man Randy Savage. Oh, oh yeah! <laughs> and there's another one that turns all dragons into Thomas the Tank Engine. That exact mod has been brought up on this podcast. Yep. <laughs> they are just a treat. <laughs> uh, while I didn't go anything that outrageous, uh, most of the mods I downloaded... We're all about, uh, well, the first one I downloaded was called the Unofficial Skyrim Special Edition Patch, which all it does is goes throughout the entire game and it fixes all the glitches. Mm-hmm. And the fact that it's the mod that has the largest size file should say something about the amount of glitches, which apparently are in Skyrim. Beyond that, it was all about making the game look pretty. From the countryside to the buildings, the towns, uh, the characters, the NPCs. I did a couple of mods which added new and unique weapons, changed up the uh, lockpicking interface, added cloaks and capes to the game, added some more perk points, takes the map that you can access and makes it look absolutely beautiful. And uh, a couple of other little ones, like one where uh, instead of having to go around if you want to do the get more smithing and make things, hunt, hunting down ore or buying ingots, you can actually smelt down unused weapons and armor. Oh, jeez. And melt those down to make ingots. I'm like, oh, that's brilliant. And one that I... It gives I, you a reason to carry around 20 iron swords all the time. Well, I do that anyway, but that's because I want to sell them later. One that I'm going to download a little bit later, but I haven't yet. Uh, there's one called, I think, like The Lone Cottage, where you can either buy oh, a good one. or be awarded houses throughout the game and build them and you know modify them. But this one takes it to a whole new level and just it really does create a one-stop shop for 
storing anything and everything you could ever want in the entire game. Beyond that, the only other one I could think of that really made me go, huh, that's cool, was one which redesigns the weapons. Now, like any fantasy game, uh, even one that looks a little bit more realistic than others, the weapons have a really fantastic shape to them. They're really big or long or exaggerated, and this mod makes them look a little more normal, where they could be wielded efficiently by your character, and it adds sheaths to them, which, as a person who does medieval reenactment, I really appreciated, because always seeing characters walking around with just a bare blade, bare steel hanging at their <laughs> hip, was like, oh, that bothers me, and they're going to get cut the first time they sit down and sneeze. Oh, <laughs> So... I've really enjoyed the mods, and now that I've done it, I'm just like, why did I play this any other way before? So, it's been fun. Um, the next part of my geek out is this past week. It took me a long time to get to it, but once I did start watching it, I finished it in like three or four days. But I watched the Netflix series, The Dark Crystal Age of Resistance. Oh yeah, I've kind of been watching that too. That is on my wish list right now. I, I cannot carve out the time to watch it, but... It, like, the Dark Crystal is one of my favorite movies ever, and it's Jim Henson gloriousness, and mm -hmm. I want to see Agra. Oh, yeah. <laughs> She's great. They keep the same aesthetic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It was done by Jim Henson's daughter, and, of course, a sequel to the 1982 classic. Um, it doesn't really tell you how many years before the original movie it is set, but it really delves deep into the world we were given. I mean, the movie was great, but it really only gives us a glimpse into this world, and you get this feeling that there is so much depth and history into the world of Thra. And without really giving away any spoilers, it's a story about the different tribes of the Gelflings and how they begin to discover how evil the Skeksis truly are. The storyline was very engaging, and though you do know the ultimate fate of these characters due to the time when it's set, to me that didn't detract from the story at all. And what helped with that, the practical effects and the CG were seamless. Yeah. They were so yeah. beautiful. I thought, because it's such a modern production, I didn't know how much they were going to use puppetry in it, even though it is a Jim Henson production. But really, the CG didn't overpower the puppetry. If anything, it just helped accent it. Yeah. And Very complimentary usages. It was, and it accented the puppetry and the set design perfectly. This world that they made was so immersive. I mean, it didn't even feel like that they built a set. To me, it felt like they traveled to Thrall, and they shot on location. It, it is. It's filmed on location in Thrall. I knew it. It was probably cheaper. <laughs> the music was phenomenal. Well, except music... for those few scenes that they shot on Dagobah. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like I said, the music was phenomenal. I was not expecting the music to be such an integral part of the story. But the score was a work of art. And there were a couple of moments where they had characters singing, which made this world feel all too real. One was when there was a podling singing to himself while he was sitting inside of a jail cell. And the other was after experiencing a huge loss. A group of the main characters sat around a fire. One after another, they joined in on a song. It had a very, like, old folk song feel to it like one that you would have learned yeah. from your parents who learned from their grandparents who learned from their grandparents and i love that moment not just because of the beauty of the song but because the gelfing came from different clans each clan had its own identity and customs and yet they all knew this song and it was a very beautiful and immersive moment 
For those who are unfamiliar with the Dark Crystal movie and the series, word of warning, I would not watch this series with small ones. And there you have the reason it's still on my to-be-watched list, because pretty much everything I watch right now is with a small one. This is interesting, because my experience with the, with the film and with my small ones was a little bit different. I mean, my, I think that my youngest, the first couple of times she watched it, she was perfectly fine. A little bit, you know, she got a little bit older, so you know, she, she started responding to some things generally to media differently. But when my kids were like five... Four, they thought that it was a great film, but then other kids at four or five are traumatized by this. So now I believe the series in moments gets a little bit darker than the movie. In fact, there are moments which almost bordered on a, a type of like horror movie for me. Really? Because of the intensity of the scene, the subject matter, in my opinion, got a little dark at times. And let's just be honest, the Skeksis are just scary. I mean, they're the personification of dark emotions and impulses, and they look and act like it. That's just my thoughts and feelings on that. I, I basically have one comment and one question. It won't be spoilers or anything. The comment is, oh, my goodness, that voice cast. Absolutely yeah. agree. Absolutely <laughs> yeah. oh, agree. Yes. I was sitting there listening to, to one of them, and I'm like, oh, I know this voice actor. I'm listening to the scientist, and I'm like, Okay, I, I recognize just something in the tenor of that voice. I know he's doing a voice, but I, I know I know that voice. Who is it? And I'm waiting for the credits, like waiting, waiting. Hey, kids, it's Mark Hamill. Yeah. He's amazing. And I was completely blown away when I saw that the Chamberlain was voiced by Simon Pegg. That leads me to my question. My question is, does Simon Pegg pull off the... Yes, he does. Perfectly. Yes. He pulls it off perfectly. It amazes me how well people, if not like really match the tenor and cadence of the original, at least give strong indications to the original. And it's, it's amazing. I'll be honest, Mike, when I watched the first episode and I heard the Chamberlain speak, my first thought was, oh, cool. They got the original guy from the first movie to come back and do it again. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, it's a little older, so his voice has changed. Uh, no, 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 no. This is somebody who watched The Dark Crystal as a kid and spent his younger years mimicking Chamberlain. And now they have, <laughs> like, 30 years of experience in doing this, this voice character. Yeah. yeah, this is a person who's watched The Dark Crystal as many times as Mike, our Mike, has watched Willow. Uh, let's not lie. I've also watched The Dark Crystal a lot. And <laughs> <laughs> When my children get whiny, I call them uh, Lord Chamberlain. And um, no, 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 no. Just move on. Move on. <laughs> well, that will wrap up my geek out. So, uh, R. Mike, let's move on to you, my friend. Okay, I've got, just got a couple of things that I want to I want to highlight. And this month, I've been playing a lot of Hollow Knight. It's a platformer. Uh, if you're if you're not familiar, it's, it's a few years old, so it's it's been out. And it's what they call a Metroidvania style game. So it's got a huge, sprawling world. The map is just immense. And the environments that they create are just absolutely beautiful. It is a dark and mysterious environment. And it is, it is just so beautiful that it just makes you want to keep playing and keep exploring. And it's also old school in its platforming skills, so it is also really tough 
especially in its boss fights. And so I kind of go back and forth between, oh, my gosh, it's so much fun to explore. Oh, it's so beautiful. I love this game. I love the creators. I love each and every one of them deeply and personally. And, oh, my gosh, this game is so frustratingly hard. I hate these people who made these games. I hate (laughs) their mothers, and I hate their babies. That that game is, is beyond brutal. Like I, I've gotten as far as I can with that my fingers will allow me because, you know, playing as as a gentleman who is is getting upwards in the age where I start having early onset arthritis, I literally cannot do the things it asks me to do. Yeah, I play with a fight stick because my hands can't do it can't do the analog controllers anymore. Uh, how far did you get in the game? Uh, I I've gotten. Wow, I've gotten a lot of things. Like I've explored most of the area. I've pretty much connected up all of the the what are the the bugs that let you go from place to place to place. I've pretty much connected up all of them. Like I've gotten far. I fully acknowledge that, but it just got to a point where it's like, oh, now you have to go and fight all the bad guys again to get this extra special. I'm like, no, I can't. I can't do it. I just I barely got that guy the first time. <laughs> yeah. I I hear a lot of people getting to that point, and I'm like, well, I, I'm probably going to hit a wall at some point or another. But until then, I I'm just going to keep plugging away. I went in knowing that I probably would, uh, just because of the nature of of how I can play games right now. Not only the physical, but just the time constraints of when I can play games. Like I knew it would take me more time than I have access to to get good enough to get all the way through, but if you catch a game on sale right now, it you can get it, and whatever experience you get out of it is worth it. It's real good. Yeah. Yeah, I think I had the advantage of getting into, like, I, I think I bought it during a Christmas sale and said I'll come back to it sometime, and I, I had some days that I was sick off of work, and I was better enough that I could actually sit up and, and play a game or two, and it was, oh, man, I, I am... I don't know if I am so glad I got into it or so resentful. Of, okay, I I I I got to keep my mind on what I'm doing. I can't be thinking about the game. I can't pull out my phone. I'm I'm using my bicycle <laughs> in traffic. This is not a good life choice. <laughs> the next thing that has been on my radar this month is a Netflix animated TV series called Hilda. Which is phenomenal. I don't, I'm sorry I'm going to jump in on that, but oh my goodness, is Hilda just amazing. I'm going to jump in right after you. He actually recommended this series for me and my family. And most of my family, my daughter especially, has fallen in love with it. Yeah, and no apologies necessary to jump in. I mean, because seriously, if we've experienced this, we need to discuss this because this is amazing. It's based on a graphic novel, the same name, and it, I mean, what would you say the genre is? Is it, I mean, you don't want to say urban fantasy. Is it? Hey, Mike, hold on one sec. I have one person who wants to chime in. Sure. Hoda is awesome. <laughs> yes. Yes, it is. I'm sorry. Please continue. <laughs> it takes place in kind of this mythic modern Scandinavia where it's predominantly set in this city of Trollberg, and it has a wall built around it, of course, to keep out the trolls. Because there's, there's elements of this mythic 
fairy tale Scandinavia that is just integral to the world. And the characters encounter it regularly. They're not they're not surprised that something fantastical is happening. They may be surprised by the specifics of what kind of fantastical is happening. But or it's, why it's happening within the city when it's not supposed to happen in the city. Mm-hmm. Right. But it, it's, it's accepted as part of the world, and it really helps suspend the disbelief as to how this fairy tale-esque set of circumstances can happen. And it isn't jarring. I mean, there's there's times that you watch kind of these modern fantasy things. I, I keep thinking of something like, I don't know, like Percy Jackson, where you have the modern world and gasp, we find out that the Greek stuff is actually real. No kidding. That nobody reacts like that. Of, of course it's real. We just keep it out over there, and it's just part of the world. It's just seamlessly folded in. And it feels like a consistent mythology. It isn't like they took you know, Father Christmas and smashed him in here and then took Bacchus and smashed him in here and here we have dwarves and dryads and we've mashed them in here. Um, sorry, C.S. Lewis, but it looks like you did a hodgepodge. I love your book, C.S. Lewis, but it, there's a hodgepodge there. Admit it. Um, well, I, the, the, the best one I could give for anybody who hasn't watched this to kind of give the this in a microcosm of what, what this feeling is like, I'll give it completely without context to not spoil anything. There is one point, like throughout the series, you'll get these weather reports and they're like spooky accurate. It'll say like the, the rain should be clearing up in three, two, one, boom, it stops raining. Yeah. And they eventually go up to the weather station to see this person who's making these predictions. And it's a, it's a weather station. It's, it's satellites and wind things and all sorts of things that look like a modern technological wind station. But then at the same point, you realize that part of the reason that she's able to be that scary accurate is because she's trapped a a storm cloud in the back room. Oh, my God. She's trapped a baby storm cloud in the back room and is holding it captive so that its parents do what she says. Oh, wow. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) And that right there is my – the short version of technology, modern technology, and – mythic craziness yeah the moment that really pulled me in was i think it's from the very first episode and i've only seen about two episodes of this my kids have seen more i've only seen two i'm about to say you if you've seen two episodes you only barely got into trollberg i really have put your daughter back on the line no you're out she's in (laughs) (laughs) my daughter came up to me there's an episode about a ghost that that what what what, what was it no put her on the mic hold on do it it was, mm-hmm. Like it was a girl who could turn green, and also she would go and sneak into people's houses, and also scare them by giving them nightmares for a whole entire week. That was an amazing episode. That was an amazing episode. Good job, sweetie. And I, I love that they framed that one as teenagers are weird. <laughs> Yeah, there's nothing supernatural there. It's just a teenager. Get over it. But as I was saying, the moment that pulled me in, even though I've seen so little of this world, it was at night. Hilda is sitting on top of her roof, I think, and something blocks out the light of the moon. And she looks up, and it's a giant. And not just like a giant in the classical sense, like, oh, Goliath, where he's really tall, or a giant that's 
20, 30, or 50, or as tall as a building. This is a giant that's using a mountain as an armrest. I can't wait. I can't wait until you start getting things like understanding the bureaucratic paper trail of the elf world. I love that. (laughs) But just that giant alone, seeing that and the mystery behind it, it just stands there. And the enormity of it, I'm like, okay, I'm in. Wherever this show goes, I'm following all the way. And the thing about Hilda's engagement with these things, it really strikes me as almost a a tenth doctor feel from Doctor Who. That, like, there's a a wonder and a curiosity and a desire to know the strange and wonderful. And, yeah, sometimes very dangerous things. But even though it's dangerous, it's also so beautiful. Mm -hmm. At no time does the dangerous turn uh, malicious. Yeah. Not in that episode. There are some where the dangerous are malicious, but also many times not. Yeah, the the maliciousness sometimes is just because they're a wild animal and they're in a situation that they're not used to. Mm -hmm. Or there's just a conflict of interest. I mean, the the one that that gives the nightmares, like, yeah, you feed off of nightmares. So you're going to give people nightmares with callous indifference to how it affects your food source. My favorite thing about Hilda so far, and it's, again, not spoilers because I can't, I literally can't spoil it. It it does, you mentioned Tolkien before, it does what Tolkien does. Every once in a while, there are characters that you know are part of this world that have infinitely more to do with this world than anybody's going to know. I call it the Tom Bombadil syndrome. Yeah. Uh, there are There are two characters in this series that are basically this series' version of Tom Bombadil. They're just part of the world. They, you, you clearly know they've been there longer than, than anybody else has been there. Uh, it's Woodman, oh, the little dude who just brings wood to your fireplace and just disappears and reads your books and drinks your tea. And the librarian. Oh, my gosh. The librarian who just, they'll kind of be thinking about, oh, yeah, we should really figure that out. And all of a sudden, thump, she's already got a book in front of them, the exact book they need. And isn't there one time that somebody says, isn't, you know, isn't that odd that she, she gives you the book that you want? And so does, and she's, Hilda turns and says, isn't that what librarians do? Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. They don't go into detail. It's just, she's just a librarian. She's clearly more than just a librarian, (laughs) but they just treat her as a librarian. Like Hilda at one point wants to summon a ghost. I won't say why. But she wants to summon a ghost. She's like, okay, you need this book and this thing and this page. <laughs> I'm like, okay. And it's like you're, now you're dealing with, with forces that are meddling with the rest of the dead. Are you sure this is important? And it's hysterical because the stakes are to adults seeming pretty low. But Hilda just says, oh, yeah, definitely important. And then yeah. you're like, okay, well, then off you go. It's but so good. This show is brilliantly animated wonderfully scripted it has such captivating music i highly recommend it it's really the epitome of current whole family entertainment it's a show that's fit for kids and engaging and just rich enough to be enjoyed by adults yeah this definitely won't be the last time we talk about this show on this podcast well good well mike will that wrap it up for you for geek out That'll wrap it up for me for Geek Out. Excellent. So okay, uh, b- before we move on, I'm introducing a new segment to Geek at Arms, and it's called Pop Quiz. And it's exactly what it sounds like. Inspired by Brian, who a few episodes ago 
asked what our favorite mouse-themed movie was. And continuing with that thought, every once in a while, I, or any of us, can come up with a pop quiz to spring on the others out of the blue. For this episode, my pop quiz question is, in this day and age where so many science fiction and fantasy properties, books, comics, stories, and more are being adapted onto the movie screen or onto the streaming platform, what franchise or property that has not been done yet would you really like to see adapted for either a movie or a series? I'll start us off, and the property I would like to see done is Battletech. It's got a deep lore. It's got a rich backstory, rich world building from the history, from the days of the Star League, uh, the rise of the great houses, the invasion of the clans. It could have amazing visuals. Uh, Hello, giant battle mechs. You get into the, the get in the clan years, and suddenly you're starting to look like Game of Thrones. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, it could be a great series. It would need to be a series, in my view. It could be a great series that satisfies both visually and conceptually if it is done right. I'm looking at you, robot jocks. Oh my <laughs> robot! Wow, that's yeah. a callback. That's a callback, which, in fairness, um, it was done by a studio that really had no business making a movie of that scope. And it wasn't even based on Battletech. I found out later that the author of it based it on Transformers. Nice. So the best thing I will say about the movie Robot Jocks was that great use of stop motion. It was great. So that's my pop quiz question. Battletech, bring it back. What about you guys? Um, I'll go, because there's something that I've, I've told my friends a hundred times that I would love to redo. Um, it's dark, it's twisted, it's silly, but hey, it, they asked me, so this is me. Um, I would like to see The Little Mermaid, uh, you know, that we're remaking that, uh, but redo it as a small art house stage play where all of these things that are enemies of Ariel, all these people that are opposed to her, like her father smashing up her artifacts, or the sea witch is out to plot against her, all of these things aren't real. They're just delusions of a twisted <laughs> imagination. Like, the sea witch is actually trying to help her out. Like, oh, dude, this is, this is not going to work out. But you'll never know unless you see for yourself. You know, I can give you legs, need your voice, three days, no problem come back, you know, everything will be square one, you'll be back to normal, you'll be able to get your head clear and, and, and just do what you need to do. But as she goes and tries to kiss the boy, and then the boat rocks, I mean, the guy's engaged. I mean, seriously, we see her fiancé later on. That's not the sea witch. That's her fiancé. No one is in disguise. Ariel, get your head out of this paranoid delusion. She's not plotting against you. So basically, you're, you're talking about making the the underwater mermaids, an Amish community, and sending Ariel on her Rumspringa. Oh, yeah, that's a beautiful idea. Yeah, we're, we're incorporating that. <laughs> it's American McGee's Little Mermaid. <laughs> <laughs> well, for me, it used to be there were two things that I would love to have seen into it, but up, they up and made it. Uh, both of them related to Neil Gaiman. I would have, for a long time, my list was American Gods and Good Omens. Yeah. Yeah. Now both of them are things. So if I'm going to have to get a new one, it's going to either uh, I'm going to go to comic books, and it's either going to be it's, it's a toss up really, depending on when you ask me the the graphic novel called Saga, mm. or 
or one called The Wicked and the Divine. I don't know that one. The Wicked and the Divine is basically uh, old school pantheon of gods basically come to Earth and inhabit people. The cool thing about that is is that depending on which god inhabits you, you get these cool, super cool mega powers. You're either super famous or super rich. You can literally do magic. The problem is is that if you are one of these people, you will have a short life and it will end violently. <laughs> mm. It is a really crazy, really beautifully drawn comic book, and I would love to see that made into real life. I could see like the Wicked and the Divine, like someone like HBO or Stars doing that series. That seems like yep. it'd be right up their alley. Yeah. Well, there is one that I'm going to cheat a little bit because there's one that was in production and was recently canceled, and it breaks my heart. And that was Mouse Guard. Oh, they canceled oh. it? It was canceled. Oh, no. And there is an amazing proof of concept animation that's out that you can find out there that shows how incredible it would have been. And I cannot comprehend the decision to cancel that movie because it was amazing. Wait, that was the short CGI video of like the mouse with the sword fighting against opponents. And it just was absolutely yeah, somebody gorgeous. Somebody comes in riding like an owl or something. Yes. Yeah. Oh, oh gosh, that was good. That got my you... hopes up so much. How could you see that and decide, no, this movie's not going to be successful. We're going to cancel it. It's like, oh, that that just crushes me. Oh, my day shot. Podcast's (laughs) over. Let's wrap it up. We're done. (laughs) That's why you don't ask a question that you don't already know the answer to. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) All right, so that will wrap up Pop Quiz. Uh, We'll do this more. And like I said, anyone can do them. Just come up with a good question. All right. So I guess then that will take us to our zombie apocalypse strategy of the week, even though we do them monthly. (laughs) (laughs) This time, our strategy is going to be interior decorating as exterior decorating. That's because we can count on these zombies decaying minds not functioning terribly well. And if you do the outside of your house as you would the interior, the zombies, once they approach your home, See that they are already in, feeling no need to break down the door, cast their eyes about and see that no one's home, and then shamble off to find brains elsewhere. <laughs> Brilliant. Yes. And that might fool me, too, and I'm not a zombie. <laughs> I mean, and, you know, even if, I mean, there's some cozy couches and some nice throw pillows, they just sit down and relax. They're not coming in. They have it good out there, in there, one way or the other. Well, on that note, I think that will wrap up this episode. I want to thank you all for listening in. Mike Perna, I want to thank you very much for being our guest this episode. It has been a blast. Where can uh, people find you and your ministries online? Pretty much everything can be found at inroadsministries.com. It's I-N-N roadsministries.com because every great adventure starts or eventually ends at the end. And uh, you can find everything there. Pretty much every social media, it's inroads. Uh, you can find it if you're going to be at PAX Unplugged. We will have a team. Currently, there's a team of four. I'm trying to recruit a couple other guys that are kind of on the fence to come, but we'll be there. We'll, one of my board members is going to be at Chuck's if you're of a Canadian bent, and you can find him there. And, uh, yeah, we're, we pretty much 
if it's if you search inroads.com or inroads ministries you'll find us wherever we are awesome and you can find us at geekatarms.com facebook.com slash geekatarms mike what is our fantastic twitter handle we are at arms geek on twitter and finally from brian mike and james we want to say be safe be blessed and be geeky Thanks for listening to Geek at Arms. Music for this podcast was provided by Incompetech.com. For more, check us out at Facebook.com forward slash Geek at Arms. Give us a like and maybe even subscribe to us on iTunes. That would be awesome. Question. When we're talking to Mike or Mike, is there going to be a way that we distinguish between the two of us, or are we just going to roll with it? Or am I Mike and he's Mike Perna, or is it, you know, Perna and Pratt? Yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe it's a stupid thing to talk about. <laughs> I, mean, I, I, know that, I know that I pretty much, because of the fact that my last name is short and my first name is common, I've been Perna most of my natural life just by, it just happens. Gotcha. Okay. We'll figure it out. We might call him Perna. We'll just figure it out. Um, or what we might do is that we'll say, Mike, what do you think? And Fraley, if you start up, we'll say, shut up, not you, the good Mike. <laughs> the good Mike. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Do that at least once. Do that at least once. <laughs> we'll let that and come you, in naturally. You can assign all of your hate mail and anger to james at geekatarms.com. <laughs> <laughs>